Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 19. And uh, we're going to take a break this week from our regular series and going through the doctrine of worship and the parts of worship. Uh, And then also a break from our time in Jonah this afternoon. We're going to look at Psalm chapter 19 this Lord's Day. Um, And this is a fairly familiar psalm to most of us. While we're only going to be focusing our attention on the first six verses this morning, I do want to make sure that we see the singular focus of this psalm, which is God's revelation to man. Many theologians have termed the two ways in which God reveals Himself to man as the two books of Revelation. There is the book of nature, which is verses 1-6, through and there is the book of Scripture, which is verses 7-11. through And it's to this first book, the book of nature, to what is called general revelation, that we will focus our attention. So hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 19, beginning in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath He set a tabernacle for the Son, which is as a bridegroom coming out of His chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and His circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let us go to Him once again in prayer to ask His blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we do pray unto Thee that Thou wouldst cause Thy blessing to be poured out upon this Word which has gone forth this day. We rest in the promise that the Word of God will go forth and it will never return void. O Lord, feed us with Thy Word. Cause us to understand how it is that Thou hast revealed Thyself unto us. Let us gain a greater appreciation for the works of Thy hands. O Lord, let the preaching be not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. O Lord, 
Let Your Word go forth this day. Teach us and instruct us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Today, in both the morning and the afternoon services, we're going to look at the two types of God's revelation to us. And there's general revelation and special revelation. This morning we are talking of general revelation. So what is general revelation? This is very likely not a term that you use in your day-to-day speech. But it is an important one for us theologically. What is General revelation. Very simply put, general revelation is that which man can know of God apart from Scripture because it is revealed in creation. I've had the pleasure to travel to many different places and been in many different climates and seen many different things. I'm from Alabama, so I'm familiar with the woods. I've been to the heights of the Sierra Nevada mountains, and I've gazed out over the valley. I've stood in a foot of snow during both Pennsylvania and Chicago winters. I've seen the amber waves of grain in Kansas, and I've walked the white sand beaches of the Gulf of Mexico and even lived in the desert sands of Iraq. One thing that stands out about all of these varying environments is how much we can learn and come to appreciate the Lord uh, as the Creator of all of these things. He is the Creator and Sustainer Of all things. And so this has got me thinking. We rarely hear sermons preached about the beauty and importance of God revealing Himself in creation. We hear sermons all the time about the written Word of God, about the primacy of the Word, about the inerrancy and the sufficiency of the Word. And don't get me wrong, Preaching on the nature of the written Word is vitally important. Especially in our day and age in which so much is being questioned in regards to the inerrancy and authority of Scripture. But we must be sure not to highlight the importance of the doctrine of special revelation to the neglect of the doctrine of general revelation. That which is revealed to all through creation is just as inerrant and authoritative as the written Word because it has the same source. Our covenant God makes Himself known through this book of nature. This is what general revelation is. God revealing Himself in the book of nature. 
And so here in our text this morning, we see general revelation spoken of in two ways. First, we see the proclamation of creation. And then next, we see the presentation of creation. So first, let us turn our attention to focus on the proclamation of creation. Read with me once again the first four verses. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Here, the psalmist focuses on three aspects of God that is proclaimed in creation. Creation proclaims the wonder of God. Look back at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. Even though David only mentions the heavens, it's clear from the text that he means this as referring to all of creation. Creation itself shows forth the attributes of God. God is infinite, eternal, immutable, self-sufficient, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He's good, loving, wise, faithful, merciful, gracious, holy, just, and glorious. This is what creation is proclaiming. It's proclaiming who God is. Every sun ray that shines out upon this earth tells us something about God. Every tree on this planet shows forth the person of God. Every animal that roams our land displays the splendor of our God. So think on these things with me for a moment. What of the wonder and glory of God do the birds display? Have you ever thought about it? What of the wonder and glory of God do the birds display? Will they display His goodness, love, and graciousness? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? What do the crashing waves of the sea tell us of God? They tell us of His omnipotence as the One who separated the sea from the dry land and the One who has power even over the wind and the waves so that they obey Him. What of the galaxies that are so far off in the seemingly endless expanse of the cosmos? 
Well, they speak of his omnipotent or his omnipresence and his infinitude. Because he is sustaining all things both here where we are as well as in the remotest parts of the universe. And this universe seemingly has no beginning or end. And that is because it reflects back upon the Lord who truly has no beginning or end because He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end Himself. Do you see the wonder of God proclaimed in all creation? But it's not just the wonder of God, it is the work of God that is proclaimed as well. Look at the latter half of verse 1. The firmament showeth His handiwork. The very work of God's hands is proclaimed through the fruit of that work. And you may be sitting here thinking, yeah, that makes sense. Of course, creation proclaims God's handiwork because it is itself the work of God's hand. And you'd be right. But creation proclaims so much more of God's handiwork than He as the Creator. What does the snow falling in its perfect white blankets proclaim concerning God's handiwork? That pure white snow proclaims the forgiveness of sins and the cleansing power of God to remove the stain of sin and to make you white as snow. Psalm 51 verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. What of the leaves of the plants? What do they tell us about God's handiwork? Do they not declare the work of God in covering the nakedness and hiding our shame just as He did with our first parents, Adam and Eve? Everything around you in this world proclaims the Lord's handiwork. What He's done in acts of creation and providence and how He has worked to bring about salvation to His people. Do you see the work of God proclaimed in all creation? Creation proclaims the wonder of God, the work of God, and now the Word of God. Creation speaks, but it doesn't speak in an audible way. The testimony of God comes by way of the glory of the world. Verse 2 says, Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. The continual aspect of the language of this verse speaks of the never-ending proclamation of the Word of God in creation. The Hebrew phrase that's here translated uttereth has in it the thought of pouring out or welling over. It's as though 
the Lord is, is saying that uh, days and nights were but as a fountain flowing forth with the, word, with the Lord's praise. This proclamation of the Word of God continues in verses 3 and 4. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. On this, Calvin writes, different nations differ from each other as to language, but the heavens have a common language to teach all men without distinction. Nor is there anything but their own carelessness to hinder even those who are most strange to each other and who live in the most distant parts of the world from profiting, as it were, from the mouth of the same teacher. Creation teaches, no matter if you're here in America or on the other side of the world, the language of creation is universal. There is not one square inch in all of the created universe where the Word of God is, not, uh, is proclaimed through creation but is not heard. You can go to the remotest parts of the galaxy. You can go to the remotest parts of the universe. And yet creation will be speaking just as loudly there as it does here. But this proclamation of creation is not enough. It is insufficient in itself. It doesn't reveal the totality of what man is to know of God and salvation. It's sufficient only to condemn. Romans 1 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image made like to corruptible men and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Creation, friends, has so made God known to all men that they are now without excuse. They know they know God. There is no such thing as an atheist. That may be a strange thing to say. There's no such thing as an atheist. I love the way that Spurgeon puts it. He puts it beautifully. He who looks up to the firmament 
and then writes himself down an atheist brands himself at the same moment either an idiot or a liar. There are no atheists. There are only idiots and liars. Because you cannot look at creation and say there is no God. Only a fool would say there is no God because the evidence is right there plain to see. Everyone knows. But man in his natural state only knows enough about God as revealed in creation to damn him to hell. That's why we cannot neglect special revelation. That's why the primacy is placed on the written Word. Because it is there that the way of salvation is made known. Creation can't tell you the magnitude of your sins, but the Word can. Creation can't tell you your need for a Savior, but the Word can. Creation can't tell you to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, but the Word can. And if you're here today and you're not trusting in Christ, then heed the testimony of all of creation and hear the call of Christ from His Word. Repent and believe the Gospel. For if you don't, on that last great day, that that day of judgment, the Lord will call upon even creation itself to stand as a witness against you for denying even their testimony. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is the proclamation, not just of creation, but of God Himself. And then at the end of verse 4, David makes a shift from speaking of the proclamation of creation to now speaking of the presentation of creation. Here we get a glimpse of the beauty of creation through the use of poetic language. The end of verse 4 reads, In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. In the heavens hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. This section focuses on the sun, which points to the universality of general revelation, but we'll get to the universality uh, at the end of our passage. But the psalmist speaks of the sun symbolizing all of general revelation. And he does so in two similes, that of the bridegroom and that of the runner. So let's look first at the bridegroom. David says, In them, in the heavens, hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Here we see a bit of the beauty 
of general revelation of this book of nature. There's a longing anticipation that's envisioned here where the groom is coming out of his chamber to be with his bride, knowing that the consummation of that union is near. And so it is with general revelation going forth as the rays of the sun. And it's longing to be joined with those who rightly receive it. It's longing to bear fruit. But this image is also a picture of Christ in the church. The light of the sun goes out in the morning with its activity and it communicates life and happiness to all things around it. Like a bridegroom dressed in his wedding attire going from his chamber to his bride. And in like manner, at Christ's incarnation, the Lord Jesus, the promised bridegroom, visited his church. And being clothed himself and clothing her with that robe of righteousness, which the Holy Scripture refers to as the marriage garment. This is the image here. Christ longing to be with His bride and the Son going forth longing to be met with that uh, consummation as well where the general revelation is met and married with the special revelation in the faith of the hearer, of the observer, and it bears fruit. What a beautiful picture this is. And then the other comparison is to that of a runner. We read, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run the race. This general revelation of God goes forth and it does not return void. That's a promise. It always serves its purpose. It always does its job. The strong man is conscious and confident of his own strength and he promises himself victory and the glory which attends it. And so he sets upon His work with great pleasure. When a runner goes out and runs his race, just as he's trained, just as he's supposed to, then he rejoices in it. The runner in the race has a sense of urgency, a sense of responsibility, and so it is with general revelation. So it is with the Son, as we see in Ecclesiastes 1.5. This is how it is with general revelation, which goes forth continually, day after day, because that is the purpose which God has created it for. It does what it was created to do. 
And this purpose is accomplished in a universal way. Continuing the illustration of the sun, the psalmist goes on to say, His going forth is from the end of the heaven and the circuit unto the ends of it. There is nothing hidden from the heat thereof. There is nothing on the earth which does not feel the effects of the sun in some way. Either by heat, light, or radiation. The sun breaks through into everything. And remember, the sun is simply an illustration for general revelation. If it's true of creation itself, then it must be true of the revelation that creation proclaims. There's nothing which the revelation of God does not penetrate. That revelation of God goes forth into the very heart, into the very core of every human being on this planet. And just as the sun penetrating into the earth has varying effects based on what it reaches, so too does general revelation. The same sun that melts the snow after a winter storm hardens the clay after a spring rain. The same sun that causes the crops to grow, providing food for the earth, causes the fields to rage and burn from its heat. There is no escaping the heat of the sun, and so there is no escaping the heat of revelation. There will come a day when all men will be held accountable for their lives. We already saw earlier in Romans 1 that the attributes of God are plainly manifest so as to leave no man excused. The general revelation that goes forth throughout all the world will serve to either melt the heart of stone, softening man to the gospel, or hardening the heart so as to have man rebel more and more against the truth that he already knows. The general revelation of God will either cause the seed of faith to grow, bearing the fruit of the gospel in the man's life, or it will ravage the man as a wildfire, causing death and destruction to all those who are not outside of its wrath. Immediately after Paul's explanation of general revelation, rendering man without excuse, he writes of the end result in Romans 2. That unless they are warned, they cannot know what's coming. And there is wrath that is coming. And so this is your duty, believer. You have a responsibility to go out and to warn those in this world who are blinded by their sin and can't see the wrath that is to come. You have a duty to proclaim salvation to those who are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. What are you doing to fulfill that responsibility? Here in the Chicagoland area, there are nearly nine and a half million people. 
What are you doing to reach them for the Gospel? The day is coming when they will no longer be warned. The day is coming when your voice will no longer be heard by the world. The day is coming when the unbelievers will be cast into the lake of fire and they will feel the immense heat of the revelation that they had rejected. But until that day comes, there is hope. That day is not now. There is still hope for those who are not of us. And until that day comes, you have the responsibility to proclaim the Gospel. To warn people of the wrath to come. And to call them unto repentance. Do not neglect such a great responsibility. I know that a doctrine like general revelation can sometimes be simply a topic of theological discussion. Something for us to pontificate over. But there must be some practicality to it. Doctrine must lead to doxology. Orthodoxy must lead to orthopraxy. Or to put it in simple terms, what is true must impact what you do. So I want us to leave here with five practical truths of this great doctrine. First, creation is a source of comfort to us. This is because the God who made all things, who created the sun and moon and stars, the God who planted every plant and causes the wind and rains to come is sovereign over them all. He's sovereign over all things. The sovereignty of God is a source of comfort. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to worry about. Nothing happens outside of God's sovereign hand. And general revelation tells us this. We just have to have the ears to hear what it has to say. Be comforted by the God who is sovereign over all things. And not only that, but creation should cause us to wonder at God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Oh, the wonder of our covenant God. I want you to think about creation for a second. Our sun is 93 million miles away. The farthest star in the Milky Way galaxy is over 75,000 light years away from us. And that's just in our own galaxy. It's estimated that there are over 2 trillion galaxies in the observable universe. And guess what? God is greater than all of that. Because 
He is the one who made those stars. He is the one who made those galaxies. He is the one who made the observable universe. This is our God. He is our Creator. That should cause us to wonder. But it's not just the expanse of the universe that should cause us to wonder. It's every single aspect of creation that ought to cause us to wonder. From the universe to the ants. They all declare the glory of God. Creation ought to strike in us a sense of wonder for who God is and His mighty acts. Next, general revelation affects how we do apologetics. Apologetics is the defense of the faith. It's answering questions concerning Christian doctrine. And if this doctrine of general revelation is true, then we have the conscience of men on our sides. Every man innately knows that there is a God because creation has told him so. And so that is something that is within man that can be brought to the surface and used against his own attempts at dismantling the faith. Most people know right and wrong. They have a natural moral compass. They already know the Ten Commandments even if they can't tell you what they are. And that's because the law of God is written on their hearts. This is something that can be utilized when defending the faith. Appeal to the conscience. Make that person say that they don't really know what it is they're claiming to know. Make them admit that they don't even believe the blasphemies that they're claiming to be true. And then give them the gospel. And so this brings us to our next point of application. General revelation affects how we do evangelism and missions. If we don't tell people about Jesus, they won't know the way of salvation. We've already seen that general revelation reveals enough about the attributes of God so as to leave man without excuse. You may be in a situation where you'll have to say something, where you, where, you, where you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone. And if they don't hear it, then they will never know. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We should all be sharing the gospel with those around us. And this doctrine of general revelation ought to affect how we do it. Whether locally or globally. Because we know that without the proclamation of the Gospel, then man is utterly without hope. And finally, we should be thankful that we are not left with just general revelation. 
We need something more. General revelation is insufficient for faith and life. We can't just end at verse 6 in this psalm and neglect what follows. General revelation must be accompanied by special revelation. And thank God that He has given us that special revelation. Do you love the Word of the Lord? Do you meditate on His law day and night? Do you realize that without it, without the Word of God, you would be just like everyone else? Lost and condemned by the insufficiency of the knowledge of general revelation. Friends, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and be thankful that you are not left with just general revelation, but that you have the way of salvation in Jesus Christ made known to you. So brothers and sisters, as you look upon the trees and the birds, the moon and the stars, as the rain falls and the wind howls, as the heat of the sun reaches your skin, remember that creation, that this creation is a means by which God is revealing Himself to you. Never lose sight of His wonder, works, and word proclaimed in His creation. Never cease to be amazed at the beauty and strength of how creation is presented to you. And always remember that this truth of general revelation has a direct impact on how you will live your life as you walk out of these doors. Let us be driven by all of God's revelation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come unto Thee once again. And we are thankful. We are thankful for the creation that Thou hast made. How it provides for us. How it gives us food to eat. How it gives us shelter. But more importantly, how it teaches us how it teaches us of thy works, thy wonder, thy word. O oh Lord, let us never forget that thou art speaking to us in every second of our lives through the proclamation of general revelation. Let us learn to love it. Let us learn to cherish it. Let us learn to praise thy name by it. O Lord, thou art glorious. 
and worthy of all our praise. Heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Let us never forget that. Oh Lord, thank you for feeding us today. Be with us as we continue in our worship and as we depart from here. Oh Lord, bless the remainder of our time together. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.